Hey there, everyone. I'm Hunter Myers, the host of the Brand Bite podcast and the founding creative director here at Verger Design Co. I am super duper excited to be welcoming Amy Joy to the show today. Amy is an autistic classroom teacher, parent, and parenting coach on a mission to make homeschools and the workplace kinder and gentler for all neurotypes. So as a fellow neurodivergent myself, Amy, I am seriously so excited to have this conversation with you. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got here in the first place? Like, how did you get into entrepreneurship? Oh my gosh. It is, it is a long journey, honestly, Hunter. It's been so, uh, how did I, I don't even, you know what, honestly, at this point, (laughs) I don't even know how I am anywhere right now. And with COVID, we all just got smashed up and everything just kind of dissolved and then reconfigured itself into what we have now, I think. Um, I knew, so it kind of was, the way I got into entrepreneurship was kind of like um, a process of elimination, just in terms of my life. I knew I couldn't um, teach full-time um, just because of my neurotype and I just couldn't like be well and teaching full-time. So I just kind of went, okay, what skills do I have? And what iteration of those skills can I like use and, and, and bring to the market in a way that will fund my, like a roof over my head and like put gas in my car and put food in my kids' bellies and that sort of stuff. So that's kind of where I like how I ended up here. I really, I really like that. And I like that you sat down and were like, okay, like this system isn't working for me. I need to build something that is working for me. And I think that is such, especially again, in the neurodivergent community in particular, like that is such a huge piece of like the entrepreneurial journey, you know, especially even thinking about how people say that businesses should run. And I'm going to definitely ask you about this, like how you run your business differently um, as a neurodivergent entrepreneur. Um, But even there, you know, like it's all about finding what works best for your own skills, your own neurotype, your own abilities. I I just love that. So speaking, Mm -hmm. so again, speaking of that, what skills did you pull on and how did you identify those? Oh, I, well, I first thought about as probably, I think a lot of entrepreneurs do, I had like subject specific knowledge. So I had like a skill that pertains to an area that I'm like, okay, well, I could apply this skill to another area. Unfortunately, that skill was not business knowledge. (laughs) And I think that's fairly common for entrepreneurs, right? Where we have this like skill vertical in our lives that we can draw on and to say, I have this skill that I think is going to be valuable to the marketplace, you know, whatever segment we're, we're talking about. And then it's like, oh, okay. But then I actually have to like do something with it and like figure all this stuff all from here, from here to marketplace is like all of this, like question mark. So the skills that I have, obviously I'm a teacher. Um, and I've been a teacher for a lot of years. I've taught special ed. I've taught regular ed, um, pretty much from K to 12. Um, so I've kind of been there, been there, done it, seen it all. Um, and you know, my special interest, I'm kind of in a weird place, like neurotype wise too, because I'm autistic and, and the marker of an autistic person is usually marked as like having social or communication deficits. Um, but I think part of the reason why I was able to mask so successfully for so long is because I actually social skills and communication skills are like my autistic special interest. So I like had this very weird intersection of like having this sort of rote 
understanding of social, like this sort of autistic social approach, but then also my autistic special interests was social skills. Um, so then I was able to build a lot of like how to, like how to make a friend, how to communicate successfully, how to, um, you know, how to communicate assertively and all of these pieces, because it didn't come naturally to me in my life, I learned it. Um, and I, taught it to my students you know a lot of teachers will just be like well try to make friends if you don't have friends just try okay try to make friends you know with people and and i could actually say okay well here's how you do it here's how you actually make a friend um here's how you talk to your friends here's what to do if your friend is upset here's what to do if you think you've done something wrong you know here's what to do if you're having conflict with your friend so that's like a cool skill set, I think. Um, and I think it's one that's really needed. It's it's a weird, yeah, it's this weird space where everything to me is like a step-by-step. -step. Um, but that's okay, because we need to have some step-by-steps. We need to get some common understandings instead of just being like, well, you know, it's just like, it's just social, like just be a friend. You know, instead of having it exist in this really like weird liminal space where everyone's making all these assumptions about it, um, it's it makes it really much easier for everyone if we all can come together and say, here's our like definition of all these social pieces. So that was my like specific skill set that I have. Um, and I've got some courses, some uh, bullying prevention courses and education. Um, I've got some autism awareness. Um, programs as well that I offer virtually and in person and on demand. Um, so that being said, <laughs> the gap between those skills <laughs> and the marketplace was was a broad one. <laughs> and how did you how did you start to bridge that that gap for yourself? Uh, I just started trying stuff. Honestly, I think we get into a place where, you know, something I learned as a teacher is like, you have to try it and you have to do a bad job before you can do a good job of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm a writing teacher, like that's ELA as my subject, like my, my thing, uh, as a teacher, other than the social skills, I teach writing. And what I tell my students is just try. You just, you have permission to do a bad job. If, if you're afraid of doing a bad job, you're not going to do any job. And then you're just, then that's no good for anyone. So I took that advice for myself. Um, and, and honestly, I think teachers do generally a pretty good job of having like an iterative practice, right? We don't know how kids are going to react to stuff. So we just kind of throw spaghetti at a wall and see what sticks. And then we just like reflect, right? So that was pretty baked into honestly, kind of my life practice already at that point. Um, but I knew the danger actually of over-preparing and of like being so worried about like, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And I also knew nine times out of 10, the thing that goes wrong is not a thing that would ever occur to you that would go wrong. So it's like, if I'm not going to be able to accurately anticipate what's going to go wrong anyway, I may as well just try and then see what goes wrong. <laughs> So that was, that was kind of my attitude. Um, yeah, just like I'm giving myself permission to, to make mistakes and I'm going to waste money. I mean, some of those mistakes are going to be costly of time and of money, 
And I basically told myself, I'm basically giving myself like a self-directed MBA. <laughs> um, that's, that's how I like viewed it for myself where I'm like, I'm just these next, you know, few months, few years is just like my self-directed business education for myself. So if I think about if I, you know, spend a bunch of money on like a funnel or a landing page or whatever, and it just like collapses or like I forget about it and then it just goes nowhere. Um, that's the cost of my education. So I, I saw it as being like, this is my education. This is my learning. Um, I, I can't be so miserly with my time or my money, um, that I'm afraid to make any missteps. Um, I have to make some big choices. I have to take some leaps and I know not all of them are going to, um, succeed. And some of them are going to really not succeed. <laughs> and I, I just got to be okay with that. Right. And I love this concept of viewing this like trial and error process, right? Which is, that's entrepreneurship. It's just trial mm -hmm. and error. I love that you brought up the throw the spaghetti at the wall because I literally use that all the time. Yep. Yep. Um, so <laughs> really, really love that. But what I think is so unique about your perspective is that you viewed it like an MBA program. You viewed mm -hmm. the expenses, the ones that worked and the ones that didn't mm -hmm. as like actual education. Yep. It's like, well, this yep. is what I would have been paying in school. Yep. And honestly, getting that hands-on experience mm -hmm. probably taught you a lot more than just sitting in a lecture. Totally. Oh my gosh. I wish, I wish that were something that was actually talked about way more often. Like I yep. want, I want people to start viewing this as an MBA. If you're listening, Start yes. viewing this process as your self-taught MBA. That is brilliant. Teacher says, you're allowed. This is your education. Like learning doesn't just have to happen in a classroom. It There needs to be an application. And the application is, is way more valuable than the actual theory of it. I actually usually do it in reverse. So you try something and then you kind of sort it out and figure out what was happening there. That's That's often how I teach that's kind of best practice education wise as well, is you just like give them a whole bunch of stuff to like think about or a video or a picture or some like manipulatives or something. And just like, here you go, figure this out. And then we talk about, we kind of go backwards and think what, what, what was your process here? What did you do? So yeah, I just kind of applied that to, um, to the, uh, the learning, <laughs> the business learning. <laughs> yeah. So thinking back then to some of those things that you tried that didn't quite work out, what was that process like for you? What did you experience? What did you feel? How did you move past it as you were learning and growing? It was, well, and honestly, I need to bring in my marriage and the breakdown of my marriage at this point, um, because it actually had a different effect than I think a lot of people would imagine uh, in terms of my entrepreneurial journey. So when I um, I actually tried to start a business when I, I tried to start a couple of businesses. I've, I've always been, I guess, a little entrepreneurial minded, but nothing's ever taken off because I've just life and reasons. But um, when I was married, I was very afraid to fail because I knew that there were bills and there was another adult that was counting on my income. And that I knew I would basically need to match my teaching income from, from my business. 
if I were like, I, I basically needed whatever my teaching income was, I needed to match that in whatever, however much teaching versus like business building I was, I needed to keep that up basically. Um, so that is like kind of a scarcity point of view. It's kind of like whatever I do needs to pay off immediately. Um, otherwise we're going to be in the red. And that's, so actually like separating, we were a COVID separation where, you know, our marriage was a, it was a COVID loss. Um, but moving into my own little apartment and finding that I have like a finger on the pulse of everything that is going on in my life. I don't have any, like, there's no other stakeholders in my life, uh, like adult stakeholders, there's children, obviously, and I need to make sure that I'm providing them um, the necessities of life. But it's not, I don't have any like board meetings with, with other people. I can just make these executive decisions myself um, in, in my life, which actually does give me a lot more freedom to be a lot more fluid uh, with my time, what my flows, my flows are my time, energy, and money and sensory. Those are my four flows. And I can find different like ways to use my time and energy to make money. Um, and, and there's gonna be some like financial ebbs and flows as we get, you know, successes and losses. Um, but I, I'm the only stakeholder in my financial life, uh, which really means I can mitigate a, against a lot of that. I don't even, what was your question? Did that answer your question? <laughs> I think, I think we got, I think we got to that point. So what we had, what I had originally asked was essentially, you know, when it came time to do this learning, right. Yeah. And you had some of those uh, hiccups that occurred oh, where yes. it wasn't quite a win. Oh, yes. What was that process like and how did you overcome it? And I think that okay. you were that, like you said, that story right there, I think is the kickstart <laughs> to a lot of this process. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, I guess to more fully answer the question you asked instead of the question that turned, that it turned into in my head, <laughs> um, in, in my, when I was married, I just kind of quit because I didn't have the, that much time and energy to invest fully into teaching full-time and parenting full-time and running a business full-time. So honestly, when I was so at my like, um, limit at, at capacity, when my flows were all at capacity, I just had to quit. Um, but now when I encounter a hiccup and I lose money or I lose, like I try an initiative and it just like kind of doesn't like go as as well as I'd hoped I just kind of go okay well how are we going to pivot how are we going to like what's the learning here from from my MBA my self-paced MBA what's the learning that I can like receive from this um and how can I use that learning to like pivot this to to create more success again I I love this reference of the MBA. And I also really like the shift in perspective. Cause I feel like when you have a separation, mm -hmm. oftentimes I think it's viewed as you've lost that security blanket. Yeah. But what I like that you have done 
is instead of focusing on the loss of the security blanket, you've now kind of shifted that perspective to be, look at this freedom that I gained and now the choices that I get to make. So I think that is such a great perspective to have. And again, highlights right there, some of that pivoting Mm -hmm. that occurs in, in the hiccups and the mishaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it would have been really easy, I think, to have viewed it as a loss. I went from, you know, 2000 square foot house to like an 800 square foot apartment. Um, and my kids are like sharing their little, I actually gave my kids the master bedroom and I have my like little teeny, um, second bedroom. (laughs) Um, and just like, you know, one table in the whole place, there's like one little family room, but that has allowed me the financial freedom to be able to explore these other options for myself, um, in, in terms of like to, to kind of manipulate my flows a little bit when I'm not at like maxed out of the financial flow. Exactly. And I like, I like the idea too. And I think this is something that gets overlooked a little bit when we're starting entrepreneurship. I know that I overlooked it when I started, but the idea of the give and take, Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, I can give up here. I can sacrifice here in order to gain over here for yeah. now. And that that is not permanent. Yeah. I think people, when, when they, mm-hmm. when they get in that space, especially that scarcity space is like, oh no, if I give this up now, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to get it back. But it's like, no, you're investing in this other, like you had said, flow mm-hmm. that is then going to ideally reinvest in the one that you took from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we do like there are periods where we do get out of balance. And I was really lucky. I um after my separation, I um sought out counseling and the counselor I ended up going to actually was kind of like a businessy kind of counsel. It was kind of like I I don't I didn't know this existed. It was like a counsel like a mental health counselor but then also like a business workflow like entrepreneur counselor. And I was like that's cool. Um but she really helped me to understand, like, you don't have to be in balance all the time. As an entrepreneur, stuff's going to get out of whack. And you can, like, handle that exactly as you said, Hunter, like, as long as you get back, as long as you recognize you're getting out of whack, and you just notice it, and you'd be like, wow, this is really out of whack. And then you kind of get back to where you were or get back to like a more sustainable thing. But it's like, I think sometimes this like entrepreneur rhetoric gets so toxic of like time freedom and this and this and this, and I need to have, you know, um, time, you know, I, I only work X number of hours a week, which I guess if that works for some people, that's cool, but it's not always, I don't think going to be that way. And that some weeks are going to be like down weeks and some weeks are going to be up weeks. And Um, some weeks are the weeks everyone responds to your emails all at once (laughs) and you just are like, okay. Ah, um, and some weeks, like nobody responds to your emails and you're just like sitting there twiddling your thumbs. So it's just like, as much as we would like to like pace out the work over time, it doesn't happen that way often. And I think it is okay. I did have a conversation like as a teacher, and this is like, just my jam and like teachers are so used to like the, the up and down, right. Cause we have like marking and report cards and stuff. So I have been like this past year, I haven't been teaching full time, but I did take a contract like right at the end of the school year. Um, and I was doing report cards and I just told my kids, like, 
hey, <laughs> uh, so sorry about it. Um, but this week is going to be really out of balance. And I'm just like going to be struggling this week. It's not going to be like our best week, probably. Um, so just so you know, but then it's very important to me that after this week, then we get returned to our, our regular stasis. And, you know, we can be upfront about that. Right. And I love, I love the honesty mm -hmm. in that too. And it's not just honesty with the people around you, but it's honesty with yourself mm -hmm. and understanding like, okay, like just because I'm out of balance this week, doesn't mean that I have to stay out of balance. Mm -hmm. Like I can recognize it. Yeah. I can maybe prepare, like, like you had prepared, like, Hey, everyone, just so you know, I'm going to be a little out of it this week, but we'll get back on track, you know, in the following week. And I yeah. think that is such an important perspective and principle kind of to bring into your entrepreneurial journey. Just as you said, I mean, we don't see that, you know, that's not what is painted and yeah. Yeah it's important to bring attention mm -hmm. to the fact that what we are seeing online kind of splattered all over the place or mm -hmm. in some of these entrepreneurial communities is not necessarily the reality all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's all these pictures of like a lady with a laptop on the beach and like, Oh, I'm loving my whatever. And it's like, that's that. Okay. If that works for you, I guess, but that seems like extra work. <laughs> I don't know why you would be doing that. <laughs> why are you on a beach? Beaches have sand and sands like not good for laptops. <laughs> I yeah, it's just it's not it's not sexy and it's not like fun and it's not like Instagram ready a lot of the time. A lot of it is just like this typing on the computer, right? It's just like <laughs> I was I actually pitched being on a reality show about um disabled entrepreneurs and um and they were like what's the b-roll like what would be your b-roll and I'm like well I don't know like you could just film me like in my apartment and like typing on my computer <laughs> like I have a bird maybe that's interesting <laughs> but yeah it's just like a lot of entrepreneurship isn't like interesting to watch um, and it doesn't make for, um, very interesting, like viewing, like just the ins and outs, right? It's when we have a product that's finished, then it's like, wow, that's really cool. But it's like <laughs> how to get there is just, is this, you know, that, um, the meme with the, like the Shiba, have you seen that Shiba meme where they <laughs> like that on the keyboard? That's what I feel like is like entrepreneur life 90% of the time. <laughs> right. And, and it's so important to remember that most of, most of what is happening is behind the scenes. Yeah. Just like you said, I mean, when we've got a cool product or a new mm -hmm. service that we're launching or we finished a project, it's like, oh yeah, cool. This is great. But this is not, that was not what this looked like up until this point. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, I, I think that is really important to, I, yeah, I think it's just really important to recognize like it's a slog, just like everything, like, just like everything else. And if we expect that we're going to do something and everyone's going to go like, wow, that's so amazing. Like keep going. It's not going to happen that way. You just, you work on something. You almost feel like you're going crazy because you're like, 
imagining something that isn't there. It's almost a, what's that called? Hallucination. It almost feels like a hallucination where you're like imagining something that isn't there and you're creating that thing into being there, you know, but until it's there, it's just like something in your imagination. And to just keep working on this thing that only you can see is like, gets very lonely and it gets, it gets hard to keep being motivated if you are looking for um, extrinsic motivation. So, and, and I love, I love this point. What, and a question here for you, what is something that you have done to find some more of that intrinsic and internal motivation? Because I think you're so right. I think yeah. if you are looking for the external validation, if you're looking for people to congratulate, if you're looking to grow this massive following or to make mm-hmm. millions of dollars right off the bat, you are in for a potentially very rough ride for a hot minute mm-hmm. until you get to that point. So mm-hmm. what are some of the things that you have done to stay motivated internally? Yeah. Yeah. So I like sticker charts. It's really, <laughs> it's like ultimate low tech. Um, I'm a big fan of sticker charts. I actually have a, well, okay. Cause there's two, there's to me, two sides of this coin. And I think sticker charts honestly solve both of them. And the one side is that I forget what I'm supposed to be doing. It's the executive dysfunction of it all. Um, and that is all I feel like in my experience, that's more challenging than the actual motivation is that I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing something right now. What is it? That's like, I'm like, I'm willing. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> so I'm just like trying to like pull up my emails and what what's going to spark. But anyway, so writing, you're going to have to write it down at some point in something that's going to remind you. Um, but then the other thing is, is to celebrate yourself. And, and that's what I really like about my idea of my MBA, because you don't, if you're, if you're doing an MBA, you don't expect to be like a business genius in like day two, you're, it takes like two years (laughs) or maybe even three years. So I'm just like, I sort of saw it as like a ramp up that way before I can actually, and you have to gain these skills. You have to be able to like speak that language before you can actually like use it to like get the things that you are looking for and like do the things that you're trying to do. If you don't even know what it's called, right. There's, there's like a big, so celebrating yourself, um, in these little things, I, I talk to myself a lot, um, just like out loud in my apartment and I'm just like, Oh, okay. So hooray. So we are talking about, or like, I've got my podcast coming up with Hunter this afternoon. Hooray. And, um, just like every step I do means that I'm more skilled than I was before. And I'm celebrating that I'm celebrating that internal growth, um, rather than needing to rely on like an external, um, product or something that people can like cheer for. Exactly. And the celebration piece is something that I know I myself really struggle with. Cause I'm like very much goalpost, goalpost met next goalpost. Let's mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like the idea of like, especially celebrating the small things, you know, and just making them 
exciting and making them something and viewing it as like every step you are now like one step more skilled than you were. Yeah. You know, the day before or the hour before the minute before. So I think that's so important to bring up. So aside from like celebrating yourself verbally and the sticker chart, what are some other ways that you have kind of done those celebration pieces? Oh, good question. I, I just, I don't know. That is a good question. I honestly, it's just so baked in just these small things. Um, I don't really do big things because big things are stressful for me. So I don't like them. Um, I just like small things only. (laughs) Um, I just think about like, I I guess, and, and it's probably related to kind of how you were talking about it too, is like, I have these big goals and I can celebrate the steps, you know, looking backwards, like you can only really reflect on your journey backwards, but you have to live it forwards. Right. So looking backwards, I can be like, wow, like I've gained so much in this amount of time and something that would take me like three hours to figure out what I was, you know, clicking on and what, how I'm doing, I can just, you know, go in and do it right away. Um, stuff like that, I think is, is just so important to, to keep in mind. Yeah. I don't really celebrate too much. I, I don't do any big stuff because I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's great though, to emphasize, like I mentioned the, the smaller stuff mm-hmm. because the smaller celebrations are not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. They're not something that's going to require a bunch of time or money or energy. Like they're just, as you said, like kind of, they've become like a ritual of source. Like it's ingrained at this point to have those reminders, almost like to me, it kind of sounds like, or what I picture as you talk about it is like your own little cheerleader within yourself mm-hmm. yeah. that's back yeah. there being like, excellent work, like mm-hmm. excellent <laughs> job. We did it. Oh my goodness. And I feel like that's what a lot of us need, you know, especially as entrepreneurs, when it can start to feel really lonely or that we don't have people in our corners or that maybe people are doubting us because the, the journey that we're on isn't traditional or when we're doubting ourselves because the journey that we're on doesn't look like the person that we're following on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, RuPaul talks about the inner saboteur and I think that's a really important concept as well. The idea that there is kind of this internal voice that says you're not going to make it. It's not going to work. You're doing a terrible job and that sort of thing. So to me, what I think is important to keep in mind is that inner saboteur is trying to keep me safe. That's a voice of safety. Um, It's not a voice that's trying. It's not like the devil that's trying to make me feel bad. It's a voice that's trying to keep me safe. And so I can be friends with that voice and say, thank you for keeping me safe. I'm going to keep going. Um, and I don't super need your input on this. Um, but the next time I do, I will let you know. Um, but yeah, I think it's like, it's important to keep in mind that feelings aren't facts, thoughts aren't facts, and we need to kind of keep fact checking. And if we're feeling like the majority of our thoughts are from this place of like scarcity or from this place of like, um, harshness, then that is, um, 
possibly to show us that we're not feeling like super grounded in like where we are and and we're it's probably more a need for safety than it is a need for um like self-criticism yeah so I have I have one more question for you Amy and this is one of my favorite questions to ask and the question is what is one thing if you could change one what is one thing that you would change about the entrepreneurial space I would honestly make it more um, accessible to a variety of neurotypes. I, as much as I have been learning the, you know, jargon of, of this and that, I would really love for it to be something that is a lot more um, welcoming to a variety of, of different people with different sets of life experiences and different um, just more different people that even now still struggle with. Um, and the amount of, this is, it might sound a little bit silly, but the amount of like forms and paperwork is really a nightmare for someone with like me <laughs> with massive executive dysfunction it starts becoming really overwhelming um really easily and just trying to navigate all of that I wish there was some sort of um I I wish there was a person or a bot or something <laughs> that could like help make things more like where I don't need all these extra skills. I can just come to the marketplace with like what I have. I think a lot of people from marginalized backgrounds don't have the ability to do this like self-paced MBA, like I'm talking about. And I think it's really important that we keep that in mind as well. Um, you know, in addition to like talking about mindset and stuff, there is really, you know, there are people who are really struggling um, due to factors that are outside of their control. And I would really love for this to be able to be something that is a lot more um, accessible to more people. Yeah. What? So I was like, last question. I'm like, no, but now I have a follow-up. Um, <laughs> what, what does that accessibility look like? Like if you were to envision it, I mean, I know that you brought up like, like a bot as an example or someone there to help, or maybe limiting yeah. forms, um, anything else that you can think of that would maybe help someone who wants to make business more accessible for people? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, well, for me, I'm actually part of, um, a disabled owned business, um, like thing, <laughs> you know, like, uh, inclusive workplace supply. Um, so which helps with like visibility and, um, uh, like we can pitch to, uh, larger companies that we wouldn't be able to like pitch to as individuals. So I guess that would be my advice would be to find groups of people that are doing like that have your challenges. Um, and just even like, doing business with marginalized owned businesses is good business. And 
I think a lot of big companies are realizing that. Um, and so it does start making sense to have some of these um, more marginalized run businesses um, becoming vendors for larger corporations. Um, and very likely there are um, groups that are kind of in like that are of, of people who are facing the same struggles that you are. Um, and that's honestly where my growth has really like catapulted is when I can join groups that are people like me makes a huge, huge difference um, because then I don't have to keep like explaining myself of like, yeah, there's a thing called executive functioning and I'm really bad at it. And it's like, you probably don't think about it because you're good at it. And, you know, I don't have to like go through that every time, but then also it gives you like more strength um, as being part of a cooperative um, in terms of like um, gaining corporate clients and that sort of thing. I love it. I absolutely love it. Amy, seriously, I have had such a good time chatting with you. Can you quickly tell everyone how they can find you, how they can get in contact with you if they want to talk more? Um, where, like, what are all the links? Drop them now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So my website is buildingstrongerrelationships.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Building Stronger Relationships. Um, I would love for people, if they want to get in, in touch, I would love for you to sign up for my email list. I send out a fresh email every week and it's got my life with autism, um, top teacher tips for parents and educators. Um, and so you can do that by going to buildingstrongerrelationships.com slash email dash sign dash up. Um, and that's just your quick landing page where you can uh, sign up. And yeah, I'd love to be in touch. Um, if you have uh, an interest in bullyproofing your kids or your schools, uh, I'm currently working on a um, program for teachers. Um, it's called Bullyproof Classrooms. Uh, I also have Confident Bullyproof Kids uh, workbook for parents that we're publishing through uh, Amazon. Oh, how cool. And, uh, yeah. And so that's, that's where where I'm working, but I also do the autism ones as well. If you're interested in having me um, chat with your organization about autism or about um, accessibility. I love it. Well, everyone, I'm going to put that information in the notes as well so that you can reach out and connect with Amy. Again, thank you so much for talking with me. I am so excited to see where you go with your journey moving forward and all the help that you're going to be able to provide people. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hunter, for having me. And I wish you all the best in your journey as well.